0: To the, church, the churches in Corinth and 1 Corinthians. Last week we covered chapter 8, um, which, by the way, was a bit of a controversial message, as I learned later in the week from, from a bunch of you. And I really appreciate your feedback. I really do. And um, I, love, I love it when the Sunday message creates a lot of um, open conversation about even controversial issues. That's really healthy for us to talk about those things. And I I hope we can continue those conversations as we go through this series because we're going to keep talking about those issues and um, issues that might, you know, create um, issues we might not agree over. You know what I mean? Issues we might not agree on. So that's that's good for us to have those conversations, and I welcome those conversations and any questions that you have about issues like that. So today, though, we're going to talk about something a little different. And just to remind you, you know, this... This letter to the, the, the Corinthians, it's, a, it's an ancient text that's been preserved over a couple thousand years, and it has been copied, you know, hundreds of times. It's been preserved in the original writing, and it's been translated into English, and yet it's, it's still completely relevant to us. This is a young, diverse church that's situated in an urban setting, just like us. It's a growing church, just like us. It's a church that's made up of people who have money and people who don't, just like us. It's a church that's struggling with addiction, just like us, and and idolatry, just like us. They're ordinary people, like us. That's, That's who we're talking about. Ordinary people, just like us. And the people in this church, one of the problems that they have, one of the things that's keeping them from experiencing God, is this is a church that's full of people who are hanging on to entitlements. Entitlements. This, is a, there's, this church is full of people who believe that they are entitled to certain things from their pastor and from other people in their church and from other people in their community, and they're carrying those entitlements with them everywhere they go, and this is becoming a problem. And so Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's what we're going to talk about this morning is entitlements and what entitlements does to followers of Jesus. Now, we have been—you know, you, you do realize that we are living today in what has been called the age of entitlement— that's what we're living in today. So, for example, you've, you've all seen the kid at the park or at the restaurant or at church who throws the tantrum, who's kicking and screaming and digging their heels in the ground until they get what they want. You've all seen that. We've all seen it. We've all seen it here. You've probably seen one of my kids do it at some point. And, the, and, and, and we think about, we, we, when we see that happen, we, we think to ourselves, have their parents ever told them no? Uh, you know, the, you've created that monster. You've got to live with them. You know, things like that. We, we think about things like that. We think it's the parents' fault. And maybe the parents have contributed to it. Maybe. Maybe that's true to a degree. But let's be honest. Every single one of us, every single child is born with an inner monster. And it just takes the right conditioning for it to come out. And sometimes the parents pull it out, and sometimes the parents don't do anything to bring that monster out. It just comes out. It's, that monster is called sin, right? And we, we de- all kids are born with it. You and I have been born with it. And, and here's the thing we don't like talking about is that many adults today, even in the church, are acting like children when it comes to entitlement. And we might not kick and scream and throw a visible tantrum, but we do make people pay when they don't give us what we think we have coming to us. Isn't that true? We do. We make people pay. We will cut them off. We'll treat them differently. We bring this attitude into the relationship of entitlement. And what we're saying is, when we do that, we're saying, You owe me. You owe me something. That's what it is. That's what entitlement is. Entitlement is taking a gift, something that's meant to be a gift, and turning it into my right. This is my right to have this from you, it's my right. And, it's that, and, and, you know, when you do that, you can't be thankful for it anymore. You can't be thankful for that person or whatever it is that gift is. And, and here's, here's, what it, here's how I, I look at entitlement. Entitlement turns blessings into debt. That's what it does. Entitlement turns blessing into debt. Every single one of us is a blessing. Every single one of us is a gift to one another. And yet, when we start treating each other like, if I start treating you like you owe me something... Like I work hard and, and and you owe me respect or you owe me this or that, you owe me a paycheck, you owe me, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And you can treat me the same way. But anytime we do that, I'm now putting you in my debt. And I can't be thankful for you anymore. And we can't grow in love and in our relationship anymore. It just stops. And so that's what entitlement does. You let me give you some um you know, everyday examples of this. Let's say that you're that your favorite beer is Miller Lite, that you're a guy like me and your favorite beer is Miller Lite. I'm a simple man. Miller Lite, it's all I need, right? And your wife comes home one day with a six-pack of High Life, High Life, and you say to her, what, they didn't have any Miller Lite? <laughs> That's the wrong response, by the way. You'd never do that, never. I, I, I'm not saying I have, but this was actually a story someone told me this week. They did this and they, they regretted it. Why? Because you're, then you're, you're coming, now you think it's, she owes you that. It's like, no, it's a gift. Why would you ever say that? It's a gift. And yet you somehow turn that gift into debt. Let's say you come into the church and someone's sitting in your seat. The seat, your favorite seat. That's just like every other seat. There's nothing special about your seat, but let's say that you love your seat and someone's sitting in your seat Oh, it's a baptism service. These people brought their whole family, and now the whole section's taken up. I got to go to another part of the service and sit in some other strange seat that I'm not used to. Man, the service got off to a bad start. That's, what that's entitlement. And then, and then, you know, we don't sing any hymns that morning. And you're like, I tithe to this church, and we didn't even sing any hymns. I, I am not happy. That's entitlement, that's what entitlement does. And it sounds silly, but there are people, I, I, there are probably people here who've thought that. Let's say you've been working for your company for 15 years, and you've, you've given, you've given your, your hard work and time, and you've poured yourself into the company for 15 years, and you've gotten a bonus every year, every year except last year. Last year, you didn't get that bonus check, and man, you are angry about that. Why? Because you turned a blessing into a debt. And you, over the course of time, whether you realized it or not, you started treating that gift as something that's owed to you. And it's not owed to you. It's a gift. Right? And, it now, and now you're upset at your boss and you you resent, you resent that. And if you, don't, you know, if you don't deal with that in your heart, if you don't get it out into the open, you don't talk to anybody about it, that's not going away. It's not going away. You're going to carry that into the next 15 years or whatever you're going to it's going to create all kinds of problems in your heart and your life it's something that affects you more than anybody else you're the one who's holding on to that entitlement it hurts you more than anybody you know professional athletes are notorious for this aren't they professional athletes we hear about it all the time doesn't matter what sport it is we hear about professional athletes who who believe I deserve a championship. I deserve more money, and so I, if I don't get that, if I don't feel my team is working for me, then I'm going to demand a trade. I'm going to demand more money, whatever it is. I'm not going to play, and so I'm not going to play unless I can play for that team or with that with that person or for that amount of money, whatever it is. Professional athletes, we look at them and we think, man, they're such babies. They have millions and millions of dollars, and there's it's still not enough, right? But you know what, there's exceptions. You remember, you guys remember Brett Favre? (laughs) Listen, 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 whatever you feel about Brett Favre, one thing you have to admit about Brett Favre, that man loved playing football. And he, when you watch Brett Favre play football, and you look at his career and how it ended and then started again, and then ended and then started again, you have to admit, that guy was in it for the game, he played the game because he loved the game, and he put his heart and soul into the game. And you watched him play, and there was this joy every time he threw a football or, or threw a touchdown. It was like Jesus came back, and he, you know, it, it, it never got old. And he loved playing the game just for the joy of playing the game. You felt like watching him play like this guy would play for free. And and he and we know that because when it came time for him to retire, he played twenty years in the NFL. When it came time for him to retire, he just couldn't do it. He tried, and then he couldn't. He, he like had to come back, and he wanted to play so badly. He ended up playing for the Jets, and then even worse, he played for the Vikings, because he loved the game so much. And we can be as critical as we want about Brett Favre and this and that, but he was in it because he loved the game. And, and, and watching him, it came out in the way that he played. He just had this like reckless abandon and joy in the way that he played. And I kind of miss watching Brett Favre play football because of that. And I'll bet you do too. And listen, what if what if the world saw Christians that way? Like what if the world watched the way that we live and the way that we approach life? And they and they saw Christians as this kind of wild and free people who just love life because we see it as a gift every single day. This this gift from God. And we're not we're not just passing through waiting for heaven, you know, and we just have to tolerate this world. No, we believe that that this world, that this world. Is our home right now? It's temporary, but we're going to embrace it every day because it's a gift from God, and and we get to experience God every day. That's that's how we should live. Like life is a gift, and and every day is an opportunity to experience God. And we're not we're not Christians because of. It's not like we're living this life to get something from God. We're living this life because we get to experience God every day. We're living this life because of what we already have. From God. It's because of what we already have. You know, there are some Christians who are living like, okay, if I, if I follow God and I go to church and I do the right thing, then God has to accept me from someday. And there's really no joy in that. There's no certainty in that. We're supposed to live because of what we've already been given from God. We already have what we need. We already have our promised future, our uh, future inheritance. We get to experience God's kingdom now, every day, and our life should reflect that. And people should see us and notice that. There's something different about us. We should, you know, entitlements don't entangle us. Because we're living, like life is a gift, and we're living with gratitude. And that's, that's what should set us apart as Christians. So, Paul starts out chapter 9 in First Corinthians by talking about entitlements. He's talking about rights, and I, I want you to hear what he says to the church, beginning in verse three. "This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? We talked about that last week. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and and Cephas? That was Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Now, we're going to pause there, and I want to tell you a little bit of background what's going on. There's some influential people in the churches in Corinth who are not happy with their pastor, who's Paul. They're not happy with him. They don't like his leadership style. They don't like his preaching. They don't like that he won't take their side on certain issues. I mean... Last week, we talked about he's laying down for weak people. He's caving in to their weakness and saying, I'm not ever going to eat meat again if if it's going to cause another brother to stumble. They don't like that. Some people in the church don't like that. They think he's being weak by doing that. And on top of that, he has refused to take a paycheck or to take any financial compensation from the churches in Corinth. He did receive financial aid from other churches, but not Corinth. And there's people in Corinth who don't like that. Imagine that. There's people in the church who are upset with Paul because he won't take their money. That, does this that sound weird to you? Why, why would they be upset with Paul because he won't take their money? Why would they be upset about that? The first reason is because to them, it's just weird. I mean, here's a man who's highly educated, he's highly connected, highly influential. He, he Anyone else in the world, in their world, who is has the kind of influence and power that Paul did, would, would act like more of a professional, and they would, be, they would receive compensation for their expertise, for their wisdom, for their knowledge. But Paul wouldn't. Instead, he worked as a tent maker on the side. He made tents out of leather on the side to provide for his own needs, which to most of the people in Corinth is, is like menial work. Working with your hands? Why would you stoop to that level? You're a, you're an apostle, you walked with Jesus, you're educated, you're a man of influence. Why would you why would you stoop to that level? You should be acting more like a professional. But Paul doesn't see himself as a professional. He never saw himself that way. And we've talked about this before earlier in this in this journey through First Corinthians. He didn't see himself as a professional, he saw himself as a servant. He was a servant. He was a servant of Christ. A servant of the gospel. Okay, he's, he's sent by God. He sees himself as an ordinary person who's sent by God to help sinners. And that is hard work. Gospel ministry is hard work. It means you are going to invest yourself into lots of hurting people and people who might even hurt you. And you're going to empathize with them and, and give yourself to them to help them. You're going to sacrifice for them. You're going to put their needs before your own. That's what it's all about. And, and sometimes that, you know, people are going to hurt you. People are going to disappoint you. It's costly. That work is costly. And people who are all in for Jesus, Paul and many others, anyone who's all in for Jesus does not ask, what's in it for me? They're not asking, what's in it for me? Where's mine? And they're, they're, they're not just investing in people who have something to give them in return. You know, that, that's how we operate today. That's what entitlement... We, 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 uh, we invest in people. We give to people. We do things for people, usually, who have something to give us in return. And Paul's saying, I'm not going to do that. The gospel's different. God is different. He's not like that. And so I'm not going to do that. They're not in it to, you know, people who are who are working for Jesus and serving for Jesus because they love Jesus. They're not doing it to to build a big following or to make their make a name for themselves. They're just not doing it for that. They're not in it to draw crowds. I'm not a professional. I want you to know that I am not a professional. You you're not a professional. We're servants. We are servants in our innermost being. We are called to be servants. Do you know why? Because Jesus was a servant. Jesus was a servant. He came to serve. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Now the other reason, and this is a more practical reason, the other reason that Paul is refusing to take money from these people in this church is because they wanted. one of the reasons they wanted to pay him was so that they could kind of rein him in. And have a little more control over how he did his job. And, and you already know this, but I just want to remind you of this today. Anytime you start receiving payment from someone to do something, there's a certain amount of expectations that go along with that, isn't there? People can, all of a sudden, now that they're paying you to do something, they can expect and demand that you do it a certain way. Isn't that true? And the same thing is true in the church. It just is. And Paul's saying, I'm not going to do that because I don't, I, and even if he took money from them, he, he knew it would just create more problems because he's not called to be the leader they think he should be. He's called to be the leader God called him to be, and there's a difference. And he knew that taking money from them would create more tension because now they're going to expect that he be the version of, that, of himself that they think he should be. And he's not going to do that. So instead of caving into their entitlements, Paul says something extraordinary in verse 12. And I want you to listen to this carefully in verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right to be paid, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm not going to make use of my rights. The gospel is more important than my rights and personal freedoms. The gospel is greater than my entitlements, and, and yes, I'm entitled to be paid for all the work I've done among you. This is what he's saying. And all the personal investments I've made in the last few years in your life and in your church. But there's something better, there's something even better than me using my rights and being paid for what I do. And here's what it is in verse 15. And this is, this is really sh- even shocking. It would have been to them and it should be to us. This is what he says. Actually, in verse 14, he says, In the same way, The Lord Jesus commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And that was the norm back then. But then he goes on to say this, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, this sounds kind of crazy, but what he's saying is that he would rather die than give up his right to preach the gospel for free. That's what he's saying. Paul would rather die than someone take away his right to lay down his rights. That's what he's saying. Preaching the gospel for free is so important to Paul that he would rather die than someone take that opportunity away from him. Why Why is that so important to him? What is this boast he's talking about? I mean, what he's saying is, the most important thing to this man is to have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus and to, to make known the God that they have never known and to be able to do that free of charge. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of, of people knowing God through his son, Jesus Christ. And he believes that taking money from these churches will somehow get in the way of people knowing God. That's what he's saying. And if that's hard for you to understand, then, then let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. Is there something in your life that you are so passionate about and, and that gives you so much joy Something that you believe in so much that you would do it for free. What, what is that thing? You know, one of the things that came to my mind this last week as I was thinking about this is parenting. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. That's your full-time job is to stay at home with your children. Actually, and you will never get a dime for that. <laughs> it is super hard work. It takes years and years and years Blood, sweat, and tears, all of it. You will never get a dime for it. And I read somewhere in some article that if, based on all the skills that moms need and all the things that they do on a day-to-day basis and all the the hours hours they put in, a fair compensation for the average stay-at-home mom in in the United States would be something like $125,000 a year. Maybe that's low, maybe that's a little high, I don't know. But you're never going to see that money. Never. Never. And you know what? Most of you moms, some of you moms are like, "Man, I wish I could." I would be so. I mean, some of you, some of you think at times, "Is it worth it? Is it worth it?" And most of you, probably all of you, arrive at the answer, "Yes, it is totally worth it." I, I would do it again, right? Because to you raising, your kids are a blessing from the Lord, for one thing. They're a blessing, right? And, and, and not only that, but raising your kids and seeing them develop into healthy, happy difference makers is worth all of it. And you believe God is in all of it. You believe God is in all of it. And sometimes your kids don't do things that, sometimes you're, you feel like your kids take the wrong path or they start making poor choices, and it and it, kill, it just crushes you. It crushes you. Why? Because your whole life has been invested, in them and helping them, helping them develop wisdom and, and be joyful and experience God and, and, and all of that. And anytime your kids start to diverge in, in their path, it just, it devast, it's devastating because you've given so much. You've sacrificed so much. You've invested so much. And you have to learn how to trust God in those moments and in those seasons. But it's worth it. And you would never want your kids to think that you're doing all of that for money, to get to, for a paycheck. You want them to know that you're doing it for, out of love. Am I right? Some of you, there's other things that you're passionate about. Some of you, For some of you, it's writing. You, you, you write for free because you just love it, and you, lo- you love writing and expressing yourself. Some of you are creative in other ways. You love building things. You, you, maybe you paint Maybe you're a teacher or a counselor and you you are so passionate about what you do. You're so passionate about, you know, educating young people or helping people who are hurting that you would do it for free. And some of you have. You volunteered. You volunteered to do those things and to use your gifts that God has given you to help other people. Some of you in the medical profession, nurses or doctors, have gone to other countries and, and, and given your skills and expertise to help people who have... Don't have the resources we do. Because you care about, you believe in what you do. You believe it. You believe in it. And you love it. You love the joy of giving what you have to others free of charge, without expecting anything in return. You get something out of that. Because there's passion there. So let me ask you this. Have you ever experienced the joy of changing someone else's life By making God known to them without asking for anything in return. Because that's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's talking about. That's what we're all called to do. This is about the joy of giving. It's about the joy of giving. Last Monday, this last Monday was a great day for me. It was just a great day. Mondays, for one thing, are my day off. And by the end of the week, I'm super. By by Sunday afternoon, I am I am spent. I'm really tired. And I Monday is a day for me to. It's my Sabbath. That's what it is. It's my Sabbath. I, I just get to to relax, do some things around the house, be with my wife. The kids are at school. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's the one day a week we get that time. And um and last Monday was really was really special for me for a couple of reasons. Um one one thing was I got to go to visit. Uh, Josh North in the hospital, he was in the hospital this week. he had to have gallbladder surgery, and I got to go visit him in the hospital and I really wanted to do that. I love doing that i, I love just i love being with my people and I got to get, got to know him a little bit you know and um, and pray with them and stuff like that. I was looking forward to that and then later in the day, um, I got something in the in the mail that I had been waiting for. I had bought a um, a coaching shirt for my assistant basketball coach and he had he never got one i had one and he did he didn't get one and i wanted to get him one and just bless him with that so i came in the mail and i was oh i can't wait to give this to him tonight we had a game monday night i couldn't wait to give it to him and see the smile on his face and then on top of that i i got to buy a bible for a, for a good friend who needed a bible and I, I dropped it off at their house this all happened on monday and f- for me that's what made it a great day because I love giving things to people for expecting nothing in return. I just love, it fills me. It, it fills me. I love doing that. And, the, and I don't, I'm not, listen, listen, I am not saying these things to toot my own horn. The only reason I love doing those things, I did not used to be that person. The only reason I am this way, the only reason I love giving to people, is because of what God has given to me. It's all the grace of God. I want you to know that. And he has shown me grace upon grace upon grace. In fact, last year, 2018, my my family experienced some incredible gifts that that we we did not expect. 2018 started out really rough for us. We were in a very difficult financial position, um, my family, and we just were in a spot where we didn't have much money. We weren't in debt or anything like that. I mean, we have a mortgage, but we don't. We didn't have any debt or anything like that. that unnecessary debt. We just didn't have a lot of money. (laughs) And we weren't sure how to get back on solid footing. And we didn't tell a lot of people about it. But then completely unsolicited, um, in the spring of last year, I think it was, I don't remember exactly when it was, but someone close to us blessed us out of the blue with a check for $4,000. They just gave us a check for $4,000. And and my wife and I were like, what just happened? Like, God knew. God knew. God did that, you know? And they, they found joy in giving that to us. It, they didn't give it to us out of duty. They didn't give it to us out of obligation. They give it to us because they love us and because they love God. That was it. And that changed us. And I think it changed them too. And then a couple months later, somebody anonymous, I still don't know who this is, somebody put $1,000 in our door. $1,000. They just put an th- envelope with $1,000 on it on our front porch. I'm really glad nobody else took it. It was, you know, because we weren't, we weren't home. When we got home, there was this, we're like, what is going on? And it was just like another thing. It was like, wow, this is amazing. This is amazing. And, and, and so that kind of thing makes me, I wish I could do that every day. You know what? You know what I mean? I wish I could go around. I wish, I wish that I could go around from house to house, and just just bless people extravagantly. You know how much joy, you know, that would be the funnest job in the world to me. (laughs) And and here's the thing. Isn't that exactly what God is telling us giving the gospel to people is like? Isn't that what it is? Isn't sharing the gospel with people, giving them the best gift we ever could, And it should give us more joy than anything else. Making this living God known to people. Telling them that God loves them and that he has sent his son Jesus to die for their sins and give them peace and joy that they've never experienced before. That is the best gift we could ever give to people. And Paul is saying that is the best job I could ever ask for and I don't need any money. My reward is seeing sinners... Be saved and seeing sinners who are living in darkness come into the light and experience this new life with Jesus Christ at the center. I mean, that's what Paul did. Going from, I mean, that's what got him up in the morning. Going from village to town and all of these places, giving them, making this living God known to them and seeing them set free from their addictions, seeing them set free from their depression, seeing them set free from their past. And seeing them enter into this new joy of knowing Jesus and knowing God as He really is and having this new hope. It just sets their life on fire. And he's saying, that is my reward, is seeing people changed by the gospel. It's making God known. And you know what? even if people, and, and I mean, there are plenty of times that Paul made God known and, and good things didn't happen. I mean, he was beaten, he was mistreated, he was thrown in prison. It was a hard job, and it, but, but even when people didn't respond well, he kept going. Because to him, he wasn't driven by results. He was driven by the risen Jesus. It was the risen Jesus who gave him this calling and said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to tell them about me. And, it, and whatever they say, it doesn't matter. That's, what, that's your job. That's your calling. And he just kept going from town to town, city to city, village to village. No matter what they said, they, he just kept going. He was faithful. And he didn't need any money because he knew he was pleasing God. And that's all that mattered to him. That's where his joy was. And you know what? When, when we are excited, let, let's bring this back to us. Because some of you might be thinking, you know, I, I haven't seen the risen Christ. I didn't get this special commission from God to go to the Gentiles or whatever. But, but we have all been called To make God known to people. Every single one of us. We've all been called to live in such a way that people wonder about who we are and what our hope is. We've all been called to make Jesus known and to talk about Him. And when you are excited about something in your life, you will talk about it. I don't have to tell you how to talk about it. You will talk about it because it's made a difference in your life. Nobody has a problem talking about a diet that's worked for them. Nobody has any problem talking about... Some great, you know, workout program that they love. Nobody has a problem talking about some great show that they watched recently. Nobody has a problem talking about something that gives them life and joy. Nobody. We don't have to teach you how to do that. You just talk about it. You talk about your kids because you love them and they bring you joy. We don't have to teach you how to do that. And when you love Jesus and when the gospel has given you joy beyond measure, you will talk about it with other people. And you should. You should. And you, don't, you know this feeling. You don't need money. You don't need to be paid for it. There are so many people in this church who, who serve, and they volunteer, and they give hours every single week. And you know what? They, they, don't, they, they just love doing it because they love Jesus. And that's what makes us the church we are. It's not me. It's you. Someone, uh, Amanda Gustafson walked into church this morning, five minutes before the service, with her husband and baby. And she's one of our worship leaders. She was standing right here, and and Jordan asked her, hey, you want to sing this morning? And I kind of chuckled to myself. And she's like, sure. She said, sure, I'll do it. She didn't ask him for, you know, as long as I get paid. (laughs) She she just loves serving God. It was an opportunity for her. She almost didn't didn't hesitate. And, and, And that's the thing we're talking about. It is the joy that we have in serving Jesus. You know, we tend to talk about the best things in our life, right? We tend to talk with other people about the best things in our life. So is the gospel the best thing in your life? That's what I want to know. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ the best thing in your life? Think about Jesus, and, and this is how we're going to end the service today. I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. Jesus was a man who was entitled to everything. Okay, I don't think I have this verse on the screen, but in in Colossians 1, it says, Jesus existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything. Everything was created through him and for him, and he holds all creation together. And then he entered the world as a baby. The creator of the universe became a man, he humbled himself. And he was entitled to everything. Everything. He's entitled to all of the worship and all of the praise and all of the glory in the universe. He's entitled to your money. He's entitled to your house. He's entitled to your stuff. He's entitled to your kids. He's entitled to your loyalty. Jesus is entitled to your life. That's a fact. Okay? And yet, what did he do? He laid down his rights. He humbled himself, he became weak, and he willingly gave his life to be crucified for us. For us. Stephen Um says this about Jesus. He came preaching freedom from your special life narrative. He came preaching freedom from entitlement and self-absorption. We examined him and found him guilty. We filtered him out, we wrote him out of the script, Such a threat was he to our entitlement economy that we had to snuff him out. We erased him. We edited him out. That's what we did to the the God of the universe. And he let us do it. Why? He tells us in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, Jesus Christ, as a man... He did not come to be served. He did not demand to be worshipped. He did not treat people like they owed him anything. He did not relate to people with an attitude of entitlement. Instead, he loved sinners. He loved his enemies as they were. He served them. He humbled himself. He put others' needs before his own. And the death and resurrection of Jesus means the end of entitlement. It means we can't cling to our rights anymore. We can't do that. Not if we belong to Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about God's salvation in Isaiah 55.1. This is the last verse we'll look at today. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. That's talking about the feast of God. That's talking about God's salvation of his people. It's free. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's a free gift. So let me ask you this today, as we close: What if we all believed that the gospel is free and that it's the best thing we have? Because the gospel, the gospel is not something you add to your life to make your life better. The gospel is everything. Jesus should be everything to us. Some of you are teachers. Some of you are business owners. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Some of you are administrators. Some of you are engineers. Some of you are working in information technology. But let me remind you of one thing today. We all have the same calling. We We all have been called to make the living God known. Your job, your career is temporary. Your paycheck is temporary. There's something that will outlast your job and outlast your paychecks and outlast many of the things that you give your attention to every single day. And that is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is growing. God is continually adding people to his kingdom and to his family and to his church. And the best thing about that is he's doing it through us. He's doing it through ordinary people like us. He's doing it through you, through your love, through your example, through your witness, through your words. God is changing people's lives. We get to be a part of it. We get a front row seat. There's a par- parable that Jesus told once of, of a treasure in a field, and there was a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And when he found that treasure, he went home, he sold everything he had, and he went and bought the field. And that treasure represents the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you this morning is the kingdom of God your greatest treasure? Is G- Jesus Christ your first love? Is he the thing you're most passionate about? And are you excited to tell others about him? It's the best thing we have. And we can't keep it to ourselves. And nobody has to buy it. It's free. So if you are upset with someone in your church or in your life because they haven't been the version of themselves that you want them to be or that you think they should be, you know, because they haven't given you what you think you're entitled to whether it's in your home or in your marriage or in your church, let me challenge you this morning. As long as you're hanging on to that expectation and that entitlement, you will not experience God the way he wants. it's It's like you're putting a fence up between you and God. We have to be willing to lay down our rights and lay down our freedoms and lay down our preferences because Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And when you do that, you won't regret it. You will experience God, probably in a way you never have before. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you, Father, that we were able to celebrate your new life today as we baptized our brothers and sister. And we pray, Father, that as we go from here, God, that, that you would work in our hearts because entitlements are, are a tricky thing. And, and we, can, we can hang on to entitlements without even realizing it and, it, and it hurts our relationships, and it especially hurts our relationship with you. So make us humble today, Father, that we would be willing to lay down our rights and let go of our entitlements so that we can know you and so that we can be a blessing to others, so that we can treat every human being as a gift, and so that we can share your love and make you known to them. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, before uh, before I dismiss you, I just wanted to remind you that we are having our family meeting. We'll meet back here at 11.20. I'm going to give you seven minutes to go use the restroom, grab some coffee, grab a snack, whatever it is you need to do. We'll meet back in here in seven minutes at 11.20. We might be done by 12. I'm hoping we are. But knowing the people who are talking up here today, it might, maybe not. So, but hopefully we will. And if we go a little over, that's okay. Remember, we're going to provide lunch for you. And, um, and so that's happening right after this, and there's some documents you can pick up in the back that have to do with our giving this year and our budget that you might want to look at. But before, um, before I dismiss you, I'm going to have you all stand, please, and I will give you the benediction. And the benediction this morning comes out of Ephesians chapter 3. Please bow your heads with me. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you in a little bit.